Hey everyone, Joe here. In this episode, I had the privilege of hosting Mike Roderick and Kenneth William Spratis in the lounge. They are both Air Force senior enlisted leaders with a wide range of leadership experience that spans across the globe. During our talk, we discussed how everything one does is a graded event, the danger of promoting mediocrity, the importance of mentorship, and much, much more. Enjoy. Live. Learning, leadership, the Llama Lounge. Yo, welcome back to the Llama Lounge, a dialogue on all things life, learning, and leadership. This is Joe Bogdan, and I am extremely excited to have these guests in the lounge today, two of my favorite people in the world, Mike Roderick and Kenneth Williams Spratis two amazing Air Force senior non-commissioned officers that I had the honor of working with while stationed at Spangdalem Air Base in Germany. What's going on, fellas? Hey, what's going on, Chief? Yeah, Pretty really excited. Did. Yeah. yeah finally, finally getting on the llama lounge. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've been wanting to get you guys on, man. I love your energy. Yeah. I loved working with y'all. Man, I, I got to be honest with you, man. I miss you guys a lot, man. Oh, we definitely touche. <laughs> yeah so you know i know you guys are fans of the lounge so you know that when we have guests in the lounge we ask them to tell their story as we can often glean a lot of wisdom and lessons from the experiences of others so i was hoping mike start us off with how did mike thanos roderick become the rod we know today hi <laughs> <laughs> right, um the the nickname is like I, I like villain so i'll just go ahead and start that one there and i think thanos is uh he, he's a pretty uh, dope villain, you know. He, he's pragmatic. He he's righteous. pragmatic, yeah, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, definitely. Definitely. Anyways, um, but yeah, uh, I'm Mike Roderick. I'm a mass sergeant over here in the facility systems uh, element chief at Spain. Um, you know, kind of, I work for, you know, probably over 100 people now. Um, 107 last I counted. You know, starting out, you know, raised in a military family. Um, once my dad got out, you know, we, we moved from uh, Massachusetts down to uh, Tampa Bay, Florida, where I kind of, you know, grew up, uh, grown into a man. Uh, I enlisted uh, right out of high school. My first base was Holloman Air Force Base, New Mexico. So going mm. from uh, like sunny Tampa Bay with everything to do all available at the time uh, and, and then hitting up Holloman Air Force Base where it's nothing but dirt and desert. Uh, I felt that was deployed at home station. So, you know, that kind of brought some challenges and uh, had some rough adjustments there. Uh, kind of got lucky, moved out to uh, Japan uh, shortly after that, Okinawa, Japan, which is beautiful. Uh, you know, got another lucky assignment after that, uh, which was Aviano Air Base in Italy. Uh, and then I moved on to become a military training instructor uh, down in San Antonio, Texas. I uh, did that for a few years, and I ended up in, like, one of my favorite units ever, which is the 52nd CES over here in Spain, Dallamere Base, Germany, uh, where I feel is, like, I have the, had the most growth, you know, kind of in addition to that military training instructor assignment. Uh, you know, this is where I, you know, first found my my first mentors, uh, you know, where I first found uh, – you know that that level of input that i needed to be you know my performance i think went way up as i got here so yeah. that's that's pretty much me 
That's awesome, man. So, hey, so what did you, what was a driving factor of you uh, leaving sunny Florida and joining the military and heading out? So the driving factor, um, you know, coming from a military family, uh, I didn't want to pay for uh, college. I had some scholarships, but they weren't like full. So I didn't want to really uh, put in the money for the rest of it to cover all of that stuff. So, um, you know, my dad being military he told me like, hey, they pay for your school, you know, join Air Force like I did. It's not bad. Uh, he actually took me to the recruiter. Uh, we did a tour on the base. You know, the recruiter was really good. He he, he didn't lie to me, you know, unlike, you know, some other recruiters. I ain't going to say they lie, but, you know, they, they kind of don't omit, tell you omit the truth. The bad. Yeah, <laughs> let, me, let me tell them all the good. Let me flood them with the good. And, uh, you know, so, uh, but the, the traveling has me, you know, that, that right there is the, the one thing like, Hey, we only have one life, you know, in my opinion. And to see, uh, all the things that I've seen, you know, right now I'm, I'm like, man, I, I lived a really good, uh, life that I'm very grateful for so yeah absolutely absolutely and it was absolutely an honor to work with you at, uh in the 52nd because that was that was definitely one of my favorite assignments it was my shortest assignment pretty much besides <laughs> a remote I was in and out there in 18 months but I felt like we did some good work out there oh yeah. definitely definitely <laughs> so Will man uh, how, how Will become the Will that we're seeing today uh the Will that we see today is definitely became this way through a lot of people that supported me and a lot of good mentorship, honestly. Um, shoot, uh, I come from a, a small family. So uh, my mom, my dad, my little brother and little sister. Um, it was a mixed family, it was my stepfather. But uh, my family was also military. So we moved around a lot. Uh, I was born in Hawaii. We moved to Oklahoma, moved to a couple of different places around the US. And then I spent most of my adolescent adult and going into my adult years in, uh, in Maryland. And uh, that's where I graduated, graduated in 2001. Uh, after graduation, uh, I didn't get any scholarships or, or, or anything. Uh, couldn't necessarily afford school. My mom has two other kids, younger than me. I'm the oldest of, of three and that was in that house. Um, but uh, I just decided like, hey, I, I think I'm gonna go to the military. My father was in the military. My mother was in the military. She did four years and got out. So she was a veteran. My father did uh, 22 years, made it to master, and then he, he retired as well. And, and so I had a good foundation. I knew what to expect. I knew, uh, I knew it was a good life. I knew that it offered stability. Uh, it offered traveling. It offered meeting new people. And I was always up for all of that. So, so the military has is, 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 is been great to me these last 18 years. Um, started out in uh, Davis Mothin. That was my first base. Uh, that's, that's, that's where I earned my, that's where I earned my stripes, uh, <laughs> made, made staff sergeant first time out of there. As soon as I made staff sergeant, boom, shot me to Kunsan, Kunsan uh, Air Base in Korea. Love Kunsan. Kunsan was one of the best assignments I ever had. Uh, everybody was so tight knit over there. Everybody took care of everybody. And it was just, it was just one of the most family oriented places that I, that I've ever been to. And the first, uh, Asian country that I've been to outside of the United States. So it was, it was an experience that just changed my life. Uh, from Kunsan, went to Kadena, did three years at Kadena. I loved Kadena. Uh, Kadena, the food was great. The people were great. Um, it was an awesome assignment. I actually tried to, to stay, but they didn't have any room for me. So uh, <laughs> after that, after that, they shot me to Beale, California. Beale, California was, uh, 
was my most difficult assignment. I'll say that mm. perfect location, great people. Um, but it was definitely where, uh, where I cut myself in the game, uh, at Beal, um, from Beal shot over to Lodges, did a year in Lodges, probably one of the best kept secrets in the air force. If you, if you have a, a position available in Lodges, definitely try for it. Mm. It's a great assignment, great civilians, great people, great food. Um, and it was, it's, to me, I feel like it's one of the best ways to do your one year away from your family if you have family. Mm-hmm. Um, and then from Logis, it shot me over to the 52nd. That's hands down the best assignment I've ever been to. Um, the, the first place that I've ever received like some 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 real mentorship, some real leadership. And I re- met some of the best leaders. I've met you, Chief, met Mike. I met a lot of great leaders there. Uh, shout out. Sorry, Henry, shout out Sergeant Banks. Like, mm-hmm. these are the guys that, that have made me, uh, uh, have molded me into a senior NCO today. And, and I have nothing but, but thanks for you guys. It's pretty much my story mm-hmm. for now. Man. Yeah, I appreciate that. And man, we had, we definitely had a special team and um and y'all been around a little bit. It's not always like that where you go, right? So uh I think Oh definitely. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. so since you said that, I think Spang Dowlin was like hoarding all the leadership now. I'm <laughs> like, man, what the where the heck has this been all my life, yo? Yeah. Literally. <laughs> You know what, though, uh, uh, being a chief over there, I will tell you that it is awesome having all that, all those great leaders, but it comes with its challenges too, man. I had all alphas, all alphas, oh. you know what I mean? When they say <laughs> talent management, yeah. talent management, that, that was a beast, but, um, but it was worth every second of it. Cause I think, um, um, you guys have heard me say it before. I'm all about, you know, developing world championship winning coaching trees. And I think we did a really good job there because people rolling out there are going to do well wherever they go. Um, and the challenges that we faced uh, together and we dealt with, I think, um, yeah, it's just, it's going to pay dividends for the Air Force and all of us as individually as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Most definitely. yeah. So, hey, Will, so you talked about like, man, you went to some pretty sweet places and Mike did too. Y'all, y'all moved around a bit. Um, I wanted to start off with this question, actually, um, to Will. Hey, what do you think um, all your traveling has done to develop you as a person? Man, I'm, my my eyes are wide open. I'm 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 very keen to to the people that are around me. Um, I'm very empathetic. I I, I can feel uh, how to talk to people um, when people don't necessarily speak like clear English. It's a little bit easier for me to understand them. Mm-hmm. And uh, it brings a lot of understanding being able to travel and being able to get around these people and, and learn them. And it also teaches you how to be a better leader. Um, mm-hmm. If you're able to, to, to adapt to other cultures and, and new places, that's just, that's just honing your skills as a leader. So uh, traveling has been an awesome opportunity for that. Yeah. I, I, and, you know, it's funny because sometimes we have this, this perception and I think Mike could probably jump in on this that we got this weird perception that like if somebody has an accent or they're not able and I'm saying us generally as Americans well you know somebody doesn't speak English very well we, we, we maybe even unconsciously judge them right in a way and you're like wait but that person mm-hmm. speaks four different languages though right, right. <laughs> <laughs> okay. definitely so, yeah um the, the members that are bilingual, I'm, I'm actually very envious of them. Uh, and, and it's also a gut check, too, when we go to other countries. Uh, and we're, we're not in our home, but we're speaking English to them. And they accept it 
and they speak English back to us. Right. Uh, you know, but if they're in our country, you know, what do we do? You know, typically someone that's never left America will probably get upset. Sometimes we see the, the videos online, social mm-hmm. media, whatever. Uh, when people actually get upset at people that come to America, but they don't speak English, like, you know, we're doing the same thing. Uh, it wouldn't be, you know, they probably wouldn't accept that. You know, right. we were treated that way in another country uh, just because we don't speak German or Dutch or, uh, you know, Portuguese or, or Spanish or whatnot. Uh, so, you know, really traveling around uh, allows me uh, and I think all of us to accept other cultures and, you know, sort of appreciate the fact that, hey, they know my language so they can accommodate me. The least I can do is try to learn a little bit of theirs. Right. Uh, now, I'm not very good with German at all. I think it's very difficult to learn, but I knew some really good Italian. <laughs> and uh, my Japanese was was pretty decent, too. So. Yeah, I don't know what it is about German. It's just difficult, man. I, I, and maybe yeah. it's just an effort <laughs> thing, but it, it was tough. Uh, it was yeah. tough. I was able to pick up Japanese a little bit faster and uh, Spanish and French, you know. But yeah, you know, it was a blessing to be stationed. I know you guys are still stationed there, but a blessing to be there because I don't know how many countries y'all visited total. Uh, man, it's been, <laughs> and, and you know, it's a humbling experience. I mean, you know, we've been what Switzerland. Uh, some of y'all have been to Sweden. Like Mike went on a TDY or deployment. We'll call it a deployment with quotes <laughs> to Sweden. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> getting fat, fat, fat per diem. Yeah. <laughs> out there. On my performance report, it said deployment. So that's yeah, what yeah, it is. yeah. That's what's up. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just, hate, I'm just hating. There was no slots for uh, CE chiefs on any of those. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, but uh, yeah. I mean, how many places we went to? Poland. Uh, you know. France. That's the one place, though, I would say France is amazing, but in Paris, they don't really appreciate you trying to, in my experience is they don't appreciate you speaking your language to them. <laughs> or, yeah, you know, they're like, yeah, you're speaking English I to agree. people in Paris. Man. They're like, why aren't you speaking French to us? <laughs> but, <laughs> but, yeah, I think yeah. Um, it's humbling, right? It's humbling to uh, be able to see. I know one time I traveled to Vietnam and um, and I was I was on the I was on a cruise, right? I know that's a, not it's not a good thing right now during COVID, but this was way before COVID. All right, I was on a cruise, and uh, we were going through Asia. And I remember this dude just came up to me um, at the bar on the ship and just started talking to me because he knew that I was American, and most of the people on the ship weren't American. So he just started talking to me. We had something in common. It was a good conversation. And as the days went on on the cruise he would come talk to me all the time and he kept on like complaining about stuff. And I was like, what are you, what are you complaining about? And he was like, yeah, man, that was a dirty country. We were just saying, I was like, what? And he, you know, and he was like, yeah, they didn't have Wi-Fi and this. And I was like, you knew you were going to Vietnam, right? I mean, you saw it on the itinerary, right? I mean, like, what, what, what were you looking for? And I realized this dude's like, you know, he has this like level of bigotry, <laughs> like this, uh, you know, it's like an ego, uh, ethno, ethnocentrism that ethnocentric, I was just like, yeah. yeah, yeah. I was just like, wow. <laughs> and I, I had to, I had to move my way away from that guy, man. <laughs> but, um, but when mm-hmm. I was in Vietnam, I just remember like my view versus his view is probably, probably very different. They looked like they were living such a simple life and still happy. And we, and we as Americans, I, I see, I feel like, you know, greatest country in the world but we we sometimes need too much stuff that we don't really need you know we perceive we need oh, all yeah. this stuff it, oh yeah stuff. uh i i can add to that being in uh <laughs> ethiopia you know i was deployed there and uh you know just just seeing the very few things that you know some of the locals had 
uh, yet they were just out, you know, happy just to be, you know, hanging out, uh, you know, so like, I think more stuff adds to more problems. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. But Will's saying that, but he got all kinds of stuff at his house. You know how many things he got? I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> Will got like, like seven cars. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna got this, I got this new BMW. I need new problems right here. <laughs> I, I ain't complaining. I ain't complaining about my problems. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, man. So, hey, so uh, today is what? The 31st of July. A lot of news on you know, what's going on in your guys' home station, my, my previous station, you know, uh, and without getting into the details of the mission stuff, but how, how are things over there, man? What's going on in your guys' neck of the woods? We got COVID going on. You guys are overseas. Uh, you know, SecDef say we're about to move a fighter squadron out there, you know, all over the news. Uh, how's things going for you guys? So, Will, you want to start or, or you want me to go? Go ahead, Mike. Knock them out. Yeah. All right. So, I ain't even going to lie. Uh, that that kind of got people uh, buzzing around here, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, especially all the local nationals, you know. Um, our German counterparts, you know, they, they make up a, a very strong uh, portion of our workforce, especially in CE. Uh, and when, you know, we got that announcement from the SECDEF and then also the uh, UCOM commander uh, specifically calling our squadron out by name, saying the 52nd CES yes. uh, will be moving to Aviano. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> That was like, whoa, you know, so, you know, our secretary here, man, she went, she went nuts. (laughs) So, (laughs) this is like immediately, before I even heard about it, she's over here showing, uh, you know, the video on phone and she's walking and she's taking extra smoke breaks. So, I'm like, oh, man. So, we got to calm them down because, you know, in their eyes, like, we're leaving today. But, you know, it, it's it's not really the case. You know, it's still a, a, a move that won't be happening for some time. We'll see. We'll see when we get there. I think I'll be long gone by that time. <laughs> yeah, you'll be gone for sure. You'll be gone for sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> how, how, you, how you been feeling, Will? Um, you know, ever since we uh, we heard the news and everything, like you said, everybody's been worried. It's funny because uh, the, the same secretary he was talking about, I called and she just was, she was broke up when I picked up the phone. I was like, how you doing today? Oh, I'm, I'm good, but uh, you guys leave. And she was, she was gone. I was like, oh, well, mm-hmm. it's, we're not, we're not gone yet, ma'am. Don't worry. <laughs> we're not going to leave you guys high and dry. They might pull CE, but hey, America is still going to be here to support you guys. Like, mm-hmm. I hope they understand, like, we're still here to support you guys. We're, we're here to deter, we're, we're here to deter the E, so, um. Man, uh, you know, it, when that when that kind of when they drop those kind of bombs, you know, it it just it, it sends a wave across the Air Force. And I, my mom called and was like, "Hey, I heard you guys might be going to." What? I was like, "Wow, how did you hear it?" She's like, it, "It was on the news." Yeah, I heard you guys were going to Italy. Like, she's like, "I'm coming to visit." I'm like, "Mom, I don't know if we're gonna make it to Italy by the time you get out here." So <laughs> it's, it's even hit it's even hit the civilian channel. So that that's just like crazy about it. Yeah. Like, it's huge news when they do it, when they do those kind of, uh, those kind of meetings and interviews and pass that kind of information to the world. Yeah. So. Yeah. And I think for our civilian listeners out there, they assume we got this news before everybody else did, but it all kind of just happened at the same time at, at our, really? at, for us peons at our peon level, we're just like, <laughs> wait, what? We're, yeah. We're, we're going where? <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Uh, so we just adjust to it. It is, but one thing I will say about, you know, being service members with as many years as we've been in, 
we didn't make it this far without being able to be resilient and adaptive to <laughs> the changes. Cause I'll tell you what, just the other day they were like, Hey, your, um, your deployment moved up two weeks. And I was like, okay. Wow. And they're like, um, mm. is that going to cause an issue? And I was like, does it matter? <laughs> you know, he like, does it really matter? Yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, I, I signed up for this, so we'll, we'll, I'll adjust as needed. And then the other day, uh, it was like, oh, this is solid as jello, but it moved back out two weeks. So I'm like, okay. <laughs> so, so I was just here, I was like, all right, man, <laughs> you know, whatever we got to do. And that's, uh, that's kind of the mindset that we all kind of, the ones that ain't a, are not able to adapt to that situation typically don't make it very far. He's that oh, 100% definitely. my job. Yeah, Will's job is to rope people around and tell them they're deploying two weeks out, two weeks early. Now you're not deploying anymore. <laughs> right. Yeah, def definitely that's all Will right there. I'm the one that has to remain flexible. But, yeah. yeah. Thanks, Will. Yeah. Yeah. Pre appreciate what you do, Will. I don't know. I don't know who the jerk was that put you in that job, but. <laughs> man. Oh, that's too funny. Yeah. So. Oh, that's awesome. Man. So, hey, let's transition to something real quick. So, Mike, recently you wrote an amazing article for the Llama Lounge, and um, it was titled, Everything You Do is a Graded Event. Tell us a little bit about that. Because as soon as you see the title, you're like, that makes sense. You know, every and then some people might not even want to believe it, but it's true, right? It's true. And, and even if it's Definitely. not, even if it's not externally, you should be grading yourself, right? So, Definitely. so yeah. So, yeah. Tell us a little bit about uh, what inspired you to write that article and a little bit about your thoughts behind it. Yeah. Well, it was, uh, it was us going on a, on a kind of a offsite out here in Germany. You know, we take our trips. We have our awesome conversations, you know, which is low key mentoring, you know, mm -hmm. it's, it allows me to learn, uh, you know, I, I have my inputs, but it's, it's, it's just certain things that resonate with me, uh, you know, almost like forever, you know, I can, I can remember a lot of little quips that, you know, that I'm like, man, that was really good saying right there. Uh, mm -hmm. So it, it dates back to uh, when I was in uh, MTI school. Uh, I think we were in like our second week of MTI school. Uh, down in Lackland, we had a class of about 14 and the uh, training superintendent, uh, shout out to Chief Mass Sergeant Kenneth Williams, he's retired now, uh, not Williams Paratus, you know, ironically, <laughs> right? <laughs> um, but, you know, he had that word, you know, and he came in, he was talking to us, you know, talking about the uh, career field we're about to go into and how we need to conduct ourselves and all these types of things. But he said, you know, you know everything you do is a graded event. So he gave us, you know, like his explanation. I won't, I won't say that one because it's, it's kind of funny. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if it's necessarily, you know, relevant to what we're talking about, but it has so many parallels, you know, when I, when I started really thinking about it, I was like, man, that's really true. And then throughout my tour there, you know, it's, it's a constant gut check. Like, hey, you earned this. Like, this is a result of your actions and or inaction because of what you did, how you did it, uh, you know, this is, this is what you get, uh, you know, so I think a lot of people can take that lesson, uh, you know, recently we had these, you know, the master sergeant promote, uh, promotion release, mm -hmm. um, you know, and the, the rates weren't very good this year. In my career field, I think it was only 12 out of 113 uh, individuals that were out there. Uh, in other career fields, they were probably just as low um, and I told him overall, like, yo, 
listen, man, 80% of people received the same news as you did. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, you know, you got to be mindful of that. You know, it's not the end of the world, uh, nor do you need a a promotion to do what what you want to do. You know, you you don't need an extra strike uh, to be the same effective leader uh, that you want to be. you know, and if you're doing it just to get paid, this is probably not the career field you want to be yeah, in. There are more lucrative <laughs> uh, opportunities that are that are outside, but you know, it's the level of service. But you know, just just kind of telling them like, hey, man, it's it's okay to admit and to hold yourself accountable to the fact that you know you didn't study enough or you didn't perform as as best as you could have, or as, you know, or better than other people because you know we could be high performers there might be somebody else that's out there doing more. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't matter how great you're performing. If during that time, someone or maybe a dozen other people were doing even bigger things uh, out in other locations, then they're going to get the nod and we got to be able to accept that. So there's just so many ways this can, this can yeah. translate and parallel into, uh, you know, just general life, uh, which is kind of, you know, you know, allowed me to put it on paper. I'm really grateful for that. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's, I really like that too. Cause like you said, there are so many parallels to it. And, and, and to your point, you know, when, when we get passed over and, you know, each of us have, right. I mean, each of us have been passed mm-hmm. over at some point. Um, when you get passed over, there's an opportunity there to show your character and you just got to make that deliberate choice to do so you know oh yeah and that's a great event right there it it, it is like everything <laughs> everything you do right, right. <laughs> so here's the thing too uh and, and the result is like when you do show your character and, and you kind of you know you show your team members and your your followers like hey i didn't study enough i didn't do what i needed mm-hmm. to do right. um but this next year this is an opportunity for me to buckle down right uh trying to gain some insight from some good leaders uh, as well as, you know, change up my approach and maybe next year, you know, I'll, I'll get the nod. Um, mm-hmm. I just got to keep plugging away. Right. So what does that say to them? The graded event there is like, you're going to get a bunch of followers uh, that actually see that you're humble, you're, you're honest. And then you also seek it as an opportunity to, you know, change up the approach and they're going to do the same things. And once they're faced with uh, disappointment, uh, you know, and the adversity of going through all of that with a more positive outlook, uh, which in turn, you know, might give them the same attitude when they do get passed up, uh, you know, if they do, or if they, you know, go through any type of adversity, you know, they, they see it as a different, uh, as, as simply an obstacle and an opportunity to get over that and have testimony that, yes, you can move on, you can, uh, you know, recover and, and rebound and, and do better. So, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. I mean, you can say it all you want, but your example is going to set it. So if you go sit in a corner with a wet diaper on, you know, all upset about, you know, not getting picked up and even worse, this is, uh, you know, and I know y'all have seen it too, where someone's like, no, I deserve that. I was like, so you know, you're better than how, how you know that, <laughs> you know what I mean? How can you a hundred percent be sure? Cause I don't know that, you know what I mean? And when I've been passed over, there's no way I could guarantee that I was in the top now in my mentally to tell myself to, um, to focus 
you know, and, uh, and keep confidence to drive, I would tell myself, I believe I'm in the top, you know, whatever percent I, you know, I believe I'm there. So I need to perform to that level. But there's a difference when you're like guaranteeing yourself a spot on, on the platform, (laughs) you know what I mean? Yeah. There's a full difference. (laughs) That's my stage. You know, I got to sit in there. Yeah. Come on, man. I I can't (laughs) believe Will's standing right there. That's my spot. (laughs) (laughs) Uh Uh, yeah i I think i think it really means a lot too and many other facets like you said because even i think personally you got to evaluate yourself right so everything's a graded event how did you do well how did you do that thing whatever it is how small it is it could be making your bed in the morning right or or how well you treated some people at work or um did, did a memorandum that you pushed up you know did it meet the standards you know, did it, did it meet the expectation? Was your boss able to just push forward on your email because it was so well written that he didn't have to, he or she did not have to redo it, right? Or, or change it up at all. And those are things that I feel like yeah. those are things that, you know, you're evaluated on. Whether you believe it or not, you're evaluated on those things. Oh, yeah. And surprising stuff can come from uh, doing well, you know, and applying that extra effort. You know, that I've seen many times, uh, you know, and I'm not immune to it where, you know, we, we just go halfway on things mm-hmm. um, and we won't get asked to do it again. And then we wonder why we're never getting the opportunities, yeah. uh, you know, or at being asked to do other things. Uh, you know, so we can if we are honest with ourselves and we're very candid and reflect back and be like, man, no one's really asking the extra of me. So I really don't get the opportunities to perform outside of my my normal duties, uh, then we got to, you know, reassess and try to, you know, find a different approach to things. Uh, however, if you do do well, then all of a sudden, Oh, Mm -hmm. this guy wrote a pretty nice package here. You know, he's, Mm -hmm. he's a, he's a really good writer. Let's see if we can have him, you know, do all of them, you know, for the squadron for this year and maybe Mm -hmm. we'll have a good chance, you know, so, uh, you know, and, or, you know, if this if this person here did a good job on this, hey, let's maybe add him to the list to potentially train others uh, to do that. That way, we have a bunch of people that are very competent uh, and highly skilled in that in whatever they're doing as well. So, yeah, yeah, you know, um, yeah. I, I remember listening to one of my favorite. There's a couple, um, I would say books or podcasts or whatever else you know, whatever your learning vehicle is um, that. I, I, I describe it as change your DNA. You know, when you listen to it or you read it, it changes you, right? It changes you. And I remember yeah. listening to one uh, on Tim Ferriss and it was Anne Mira Coe. And I look up to her because her story is amazing. But, um, you know, if, if our listeners go check it out, it's a great episode. But, um, but some of the thing that she said in there was her dad used to always tell her world-class effort, make a world-class effort, no matter what you're doing. And she would always try to, you know, that would just be constantly drilled into her head. And one day she was going to school and basically she was working through school, right. As a, uh, I guess it was as a student aide. And, um, and she worked for this brilliant professor dude who like had many connections, but you know, that's, she just happened to get placed into that area. And she was basically a copy person. She made copies and, 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 you know, she got the donuts. She made sure the donuts were, were there in the morning. Right. <laughs> Those are things that she did all these administrative things that nobody wanted to do. And um, her dad told her one time she was going to work was like, Hey, make sure you make a world-class effort today. 
and she said, dad, I make copies. There's no such thing as world-class effort in copies. And he was like, well, I think you should at least think about it. Right. So she's sitting at the copy machine and then she's like, well, what does world-class effort look like at a copy machine? And what she did was she wanted to make the most perfect copy so that you can't tell it's a copy. You know what I mean? She was like making everything perfect. She was taking time to make sure everything was good. When she went to go pick the donuts, she made sure she, she handpicked all of them instead of telling the lady to just go ahead and throw them all in there, right? She was like, uh, that one, that one, that one looks fresh. That one looks right. All the sprinkles are right on that one or whatever it was, right? She was just, she was taking the extra effort. And lo and behold, like a little bit later on, somebody comes through, that, that person that's in charge of the section comes out and looks around and doesn't see nobody but her making copies. And she's like, he's like, who are you? And she said, oh, I'm Anne Mirico. I'm your assistant here. And he was like, oh, I've heard great things about you. I need you to go take my friend on a tour of the campus and, uh, and you know, show him around and explain what we do here. And she was like, okay. She took him around. This dude's making a connection with her. This dude says, hey, um, what are you doing for the summertime? Cause I live in Cupertino and you live in Cupertino. Are you going home? And she said, yeah. And he was like, I'd like you to come check out my, um, check out my place of work. Um, I'd like you to check it out. Maybe be an intern for the summer. And she was like, I didn't even ask, what do you, what do you do? And she said she was so self-centered the whole time. She didn't realize what this dude was doing. And she was like, Oh, I'm the, I'm the CEO of HP. <laughs> right. And, and next thing you know, she gets a connection there because of what she, the, all the hard work she did. And now she's like one of the most, they call her the, the VC queen, venture capital queen. She's making tons of money. You know what I mean? Like doing all these things, but it started with a connection by just doing those little things up front. And I know uh, Mike and I know Will, you guys will agree. Like those little things, those details, that's what, that's what, you know, oh, yeah. that's what, that's what can snowball into those great effects, but go the other way too. It go the other way too. You miss a couple of them and next thing you know, small things, we get big things. And, and, and that's mm -hmm. what, um, I would like to transition next is um, I wanted to start off with Will. What do you think about cultures? Do we, um, do we do a good enough job not accepting mediocrity? I don't believe we do. Um, yeah. I, I believe uh, as, as I, I mean, when we get to a point later in our careers, uh, leaders start understanding that uh, mediocrity has to be stopped at the earliest point. You can't let it continue. Mm -hmm. Otherwise it bleeds into uh, the rest of the, the whole airman concept, you know, mm -hmm. if you start accepting uh, mediocrity for people's, uh, for people's goals, like, Hey, my goal is to take uh, uh, two classes and then they take one class. You know, if you, if you accept that, then you're, then you're accepting knowing that they had time to do another class, you're accepting mm -hmm. mediocrity. And uh, that, that's a culture. And we, we just, in which, and back then in which they just pretty much accepted whatever you gave them. And uh, nowadays, it's, it's totally different. Um, like I said, in this squadron alone, uh, mediocrity is, is you, there's no mediocre. Like you're either <laughs> shit hot or yeah. you're working, you're working to be shit hot. Yeah. Like mediocre is, it, it's very, it's very seldom seen in this unit. Uh, it's probably the most competitive unit I've ever seen. So when I go to mediocrity, I'm thinking maybe some of the, so the past assignments that I've been at where, mm. Where I, where I didn't have these type of mentors, I didn't have these type of people that would, uh, that would hold you accountable. And uh, holding people accountable is, is, is key to stopping mediocrity. So uh, yeah, I feel like to these days, we have less and less mediocre airmen, less and less mediocre NCOs, and less and less mediocre uh, senior NCOs, so. Yeah, 
No, I think I think you you make a good point because in the grand scheme of things, leadership's responsibility to ensure that we don't accept mediocrity. The problem is there are some leaders that are okay with being mediocre, right? And quote unquote leaders, I guess you would say, right? And uh, mm-hmm. but yeah, accepting mediocrity is so weird. And I think as a culture, we're like, all right, we always talk about the average. You know, we we do everything to try to uh, to to put something out that'll reach the average. You know, reach the average group. We, we keep on putting that out there, right? And then what happens is now we're all like trying to meet average versus Excel, right? Right. And I know, Mike, you got some thoughts on that because like accepting mediocrity, <laughs> accepting the, the status quo all the time. I mean, that that leads to a lot of counterproductive things in a culture. Oh, yeah. It's, it's pretty much a bad habit. Um, mm-hmm. The more you tolerate something, you know, it, it just becomes daily routine. And then it, uh, you know, it can become the norm within your entire culture. Uh, you know, so like that is definitely not where I want to go. I, I want to see my whole team thrive uh, and just become excellent people, uh, you know. But I think, the, you know, the reason why, you know, it's it's very widespread, right? I Because mean, I do believe as a culture, uh, I think it's easier for members just to be like, hey, you're doing a great job. You know, you're, you know, just keep up the good work, right? That's the easy message to send out. Mm-hmm. But is it the right message? You know, probably not. So when people are not doing as best as they can, but it still falls within the standards, you know, they're like, uh, yeah, you're, you're doing good. You know, just keep up the good work. You're still in standards. No. Can they be better? Should they be better? Can we lead them? You know, so maybe some people don't know how to lead them to be better. And that's when they can just seek it out uh, from another individual. Uh, maybe they don't know how to give that message. Uh, but it is much harder to tell someone, hey, you're within standards, but you're towing the line. Or you're mm-hmm. not within standards. Uh, this is what you need to do to uh, to get here. Uh, and let's just not dwell there either. You know, let's get back on the right side uh, as well as let's push to exceed it. Let's push to, you know, excel. Uh, and see where that gets us, you know? So yeah. a lot of people, you know, sometimes when they they accept that habit of mediocrity, you know, they think that's the, that's the level of performance that gets them the reward. I'm like, no, it doesn't. Yeah, <laughs> This gets you your paycheck, you know, this, yeah. this keeps you here, you know? So then we have this false sense of, uh, of, uh, you know, superior performance uh, within a lot of folks. And that's what, you know, leads to the, disappointment when they don't you know right. get recognized for promotion uh they don't get recognized for awards or anything like that uh not that that's that's what everybody should be all about but i see when people you know get passed over uh they get super upset right. uh because no one was there to tell them hey man you you really didn't do as great as you thought you did mm-hmm. uh and here's how you know there's there's nothing wrong with saying that uh will and i are, are good friends but i've still had to tell him, hey, man, <laughs> you didn't do this right sometimes, you know, and, and he's done that to me as well, you right. know, so it just takes a very humbling, uh, you know, perspective that you got to go back and be like, all right, well, you know, you're right. Let me think about that, you know, so, you know, we can learn from each other. Yeah, yeah, you, you bring up a good point. I mean, constantly um, allowing for mediocrity like what it does is brings that curve down you know and now when that Mm -hmm. curves down everybody thinks they're there 
And what happens is when they get passed over, they felt entitled to whatever they thought they were going to get and it didn't work, work out. Right. So it does create a, a, a sense of entitlement for sure. When you accept mediocrity on a regular basis. And, um, and you know, the other thing that I think about too, is a lot of times people tie, when we talk about standards, like, okay, we, I'm within standards. Well, we're not talking about whether or not your buttons, you know, buttoned on your uniform. You know what I mean? I mean, there's those standards, right? Like, are you within standards, right? Are you wearing uniform correctly? Are you exceeding those standards? But when it comes to um, performance standards, there's intangibles involved, right? Like, extre- like extreme intangibles that uh, it's very hard to evaluate somebody on, right? And, and people got to accept that, that someone, some people are hitting eagles when even though you might be hitting birdies right i mean the dude the dude or a young lady who's hitting those eagles they're still just doing better than you are right and they're they're all the way uh-huh. to the right and um i think all of us have to just kind of know that because i know there's people out there doing much better things than me and um and i'm i'm just striving to find those people so that i can learn from them you know and i think that like you said that's a humbling perspective that we got to take on oh most definitely yeah so hey so that that is actually a really good transition to our next thing and i wanted uh will to kind of talk about you have a um, a unique experience in in history moving on and uh, i remember that when i first came through and we were talking a little bit and you talked about you know how when you got to spang you the mentorship and development as you kind of brought up was was on another level that you had not experienced before um speak on what you think like the importance of that mentorship and 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 maybe your experiences on the lack of as well well i'll speak on the, i'll speak on the lack of yeah, yeah. yeah it'll be in chronological <laughs> order <laughs> so, so uh when i came in the military it was uh it was pretty much you, you do your job you do your job to the best of your abilities and there wasn't any like, all right, we're going to sit down and we're going to, you know, you write your EPR and then they would take the EPR, they, they would do their revisions and then they would push it. There was no bring it back. Hey, we're going to build you up. Hey, this is how you do the bullets and everything. Everyone went through that same ALS class that taught you how to do a bullet. And the bullet was super general. And you take <laughs> that bullet, you put it on the EPR and your supervisor was like, get this trash out of here. And they re- do their revisions and they send it up. <laughs> It, that was that was literally four or five bases of, of great personal managers, but no real leaders. Um, it wasn't until I got to Spain Dollum and I started meeting senior master sergeants. I actually sat down with senior master sergeants. I actually sat down with chiefs that wanted to teach you what you what you needed to know to be a senior NCO, and uh, it was. It, it, it was it was a lot it was it was a it was a fire hose of information that they that they give you when you get to those when you when you get to that point and uh it's 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 uh it's crazy because after going through like some classes and some courses with these other senior NCOs that have been doing it for maybe only one or two years uh uh more than myself it's interesting how much further along they were with that mentorship and how I was how I always felt like I was trying to play catch up, trying mm-hmm. to, to trying to, to trying to stay with my peers, and uh, you know eventually you catch up through hard work and everything, and uh, and and it, it's seen through how your peers and, and how your mentors treat you, that hey, uh, you're not only learning but hey, we respect the job that you're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, so so when I when I look back uh, at the years where I didn't have that mentorship, 
uh, it, it sort of jades you a little bit because you're like, man, what could, could I be? Could I be where Chief's at if I had the same type of mentorship, the same type of support pushing me? If I had, if I had Tech Sergeant Bogdan with me when I was the staff sergeant, <laughs> would I be a senior master sergeant right now? Like you, those are the type of things that you think about when you don't have, when you haven't had that type of uh, of leadership and mentorship. You're hungry for it, and you don't even know what you're hungry for. Mm-hmm. You're doing everything. You're volunteering, you're going to school, you're killing it on the job, you're, you're getting recognized, but you don't know what you're doing. You're just doing mm-hmm. it because you think that's what the job entails. And, and mm-hmm. getting here, it, it's more than that. It, it, it's really about building your peers. It's really about uh, uh, building your subordinates. And it's about looking ahead and planning ahead, making goals and actually attaining those goals. So uh, it's, mm-hmm. The mentorship from from then and now is light years ahead of where I was. Yeah. And I mean, you must have learned a lot from that too, seeing the, uh, I mean, just a straight juxtaposition from where you, what you saw before, right? And then, and then what you're seeing now um, and getting that development. And, um, and although it might have been late for you, I think that you probably gained a lot so that you know what your people need. Yeah. I, I, I gained so much. Like, uh, Every time I get information, I, within days, I take that information and I sit down with my subordinates and I pass them everything because I feel like if I don't give it to them while it's fresh in my head, then, I, then they'll miss out on something. So every time I learn something, I sit down with my subordinates and I pass it to them and I expect them to pass it to their subordinates and I expect it to, to just trickle down. And I expect everybody to get the same information and then even the lowest airman is, is having the same information as the master sergeant. Yeah. So it's never, it's never a secret. And, mm-hmm. and that's how we build, that's how we build the best force from the bottom up. Yeah. 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 I know Mike, Mike, I know you, um, you had some different, uh, different experiences in the world, but some of them kind of parallel, didn't they? Oh, definitely. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> you know, same type, same type of thing. Uh, back then, I really didn't have a whole lot of uh, people showing me how to do things or, or telling me, like, "Hey, you want to get this done early?" Uh, you know, it's not like, "Hey, it's the end of the year. Your EPRs due. What bullets do you have?" No, I kind of look at like, "Wow, how can I make my life easier?" Mm-hmm. All right. So if my subordinates, all the way down to the lowest airman level, uh, can can see what I expect and know like the level that I that I want them to be at. Uh, that way, it makes my life easier and will also make their lives easier if they start learning the things now. Um, I don't want them to start gathering the things that they did and start to remember that when when it comes EPR time. I want them to start doing that from the moment they get here. I want them to know why it's even important. Uh, you know, and I, and I want them to, to have that knowledge. I had an A1C, an Amber First Class, you know, of a year on station the other day, send me an email of, uh, you know, three bullets that he wrote that were pretty darn good. <laughs> you know, I've uh. seen that, I've seen uh, uh, technical sergeants, you know, and, and masters <laughs> not write bullets this well. Mm-hmm. Uh, Will knows, I, I showed him. <laughs> I was like, hey, man. I was like excited to have. I was like, well, really, you gotta come over here and look at this, man. So, you know, that right there just, you know, kind of showed me like, man, I didn't have this when I was an airman. I didn't actually know how to write bullets until I went to ALS. 
imagine if they already have that type of information and that foundation and they just continue to build on this. Imagine how much better leaders they would be once they get to that point of being a staff sergeant, they start first supervising uh, their troops. They're going to be far more capable than I mm -hmm. ever was. Uh, and then, you know, and that's, that's the only thing I kind of want, you know, I want them to have all that information. Uh, I want them to have that level, that standard, like, Hey, at this level, I need to be, you know, able to take care of my, my troops. Uh, you know, to me, that's what service is all about. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, you got, we talked about a little bit throughout this entire discussion, but it's, it's about those tactical level things, teaching them how to do those things as well. But also I've always said, you know, um, good leaders teach people how to do, but great leaders teach people how to think, right. How, how to get through problems. Mm -hmm. and, 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 and like what you talked about, we're willing to check each other if we're doing something out of character, like, Hey, that, that wasn't the right way to do that. Right. You didn't have to light that dude up yeah. or you didn't have to, you know I mean? Whatever. It might've been frustrating. I know he did it seven times, but that was probably still, you know, inappropriate <laughs> the way we did it. And those are things that um, I think when you have a good team that has respect and trust amongst each other, you know, I, I think that those are the, the feedback that we can get from each other and become better. And when we show that to our, our, our subordinates, you know, the folks that we're just that we have the privilege to serve, they see an example. They see an example of people that can lead as a team and to have mutual respect for each other to the point where, you know, either one of you could pull me and say, Hey chief, that was, I, I think, you know, I don't think that was the best approach to that, you know? And I, I'm like, you know, I respect you guys enough to, to look in and reflect a little bit on that one. So, um, yeah. It's, and I, I continuously say that it's more about setting the example. You know, we say it all the time, yeah. but it's one of those things that's simple, but not easy at times. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, yeah. I had a staff sergeant yesterday come in and, you know, we, we started, I started helping him with things and he's like, you know, I, man, I really appreciate it. You know, I never mm -hmm. really got this much assistance and knowledge you know, ever. And I was like, man, just when you get here, just pay it forward. You know, mm -hmm. uh, you're, you're going to be at this point one day, not to say like, Hey, you, you know, I'm at some high level above you. No. Uh, but you know, if I had the ability and knowledge, you know, to, to teach him a few things, mm -hmm. uh, as soon as he gets to the point where he can do that, you know, uh, just make sure we pay it forward. You know, I, I consider that a, it's sacred obligation, you know? Yeah. <laughs> sacred <laughs> obligation. That's, that's good. Yeah. I like that. <laughs> I like that, man. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> man, I love talking with y'all, man. We need to have you guys both back on sometime. <laughs> man, I definitely missed you. Um, it's, it's, it's always a good time hanging out with you guys, man. So, hey, as we, uh, whenever we, we wrap these up, we like to do this thing called a leadership rapid fire. So what I'm going to do is ask the question um, to each of you. I'll ask you one and then flip to the other person and switch back and forth. Sound good? Sounds good. Sounds All good. Right. All right. We're going to start off with Mike on the first one. What is your favorite leadership trait? My favorite leadership trait has got to be effort. Hmm. Simple as that. Um, just just the, the simple effort. Uh, I mean, it's, it's self-explanatory. If you don't even try uh, to help anybody out or, you know, lead someone to the point where they want to be or need to be, mm -hmm. um, there's no other way to put it to me. Like, you've you got to have that ability to, you know, show some effort into someone else's development. 
Yeah. All right, Will, how about you? What's your favorite leadership trait? It'd probably be uh, caring, empathy. Mm. Uh, like having a leader that, that actually cares about you, that cares about your family, that cares about what goes on with you. Um, that that's, uh, that's super important. And I, I feel like uh, when you care, you make those connections to your subordinates or to your peers. And that carries you re- really far in, in the military. All right. All right, Will, I'm going I'm to ask you this one next. All right. So uh, what, is, what is your favorite quote? I have a million favorite quotes, but let me give uh, a shout out to uh, uh, Colonel Olson for this brand new quote that he put on. Uh, he said, if you see a turtle on a fence post, no, he didn't get there by himself. Mm. That, that to me just like says everything to me because I know what it took for me to get to where I'm at today. You know, uh, it took a lot of support. It took a lot of people that listened. It took a lot of people uh, helping me, uh, building me as a leader. Like, like yeah, that, that, that quote just spoke to me because I know, like, nobody got to where they are by this. So, Shout out to Colonel Olson, but I don't think he came up with that, but that's cool. <laughs> <laughs> well, well that, I'm not saying he came up with it, but that's where I, that, that's where I heard it from. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome, man. Yeah, there, there is, so I don't want to take this, this is a leisure rapid fire. We're going to take it out on a weird path, but I remember when driving down to L, L46, going down home every day, and then there was this, on the left side, there's this, uh, like, some, some lakes over there. And every now and then, I would see a turtle just sitting on like a post that was above the water. Like, you know what I mean? Like, how the hell did that thing get up there? <laughs> All right, Mike, what's your favorite quote? Man, I got to think about this one because that, that one was pretty good. Uh, and I like it. Uh, the turtle on the fence post. I've never heard that one before. Uh, but Colonel Olsen, you know, he's automatically you yeah. know, in the high levels in my regards. Uh, but I would say my favorite quotes, and there's so many, and I really don't do a whole lot of favors, but but it's something along the lines that uh, no champions were ever built from a road of privilege. So you know, it, it kind of speaks to uh, you know, real real champions are the ones who you know got knocked down from any, you know any point of adversity uh, and actually got back up and got over that. Uh, I really, you know, I really think that's a that's a good thing. I, you know when when people go through adversity, they have that, that testimony that, Hey, you know, and credibility that you know, mm-hmm. they can, they can teach others that, Hey, you can get through this as well. So. All right. All right. So we're going to go into the next question and that's going to be to you, Mike, to start off. What is a book or some books that you would recommend to some aspiring leaders? All right. Some uh, mm-hmm. a book or books, uh, the Daily Stoic, you know, the one that you gave me, <laughs> that's just one page a day you got to read. Uh, but, it, man, it's got some gems in there that were written back in the day that, that is still relevant to this day, thousands of years later. And mm-hmm. I'm like, man, this is, this is really good stuff. You know, how does this apply to me today, actually? Mm-hmm. So uh, it's kind of weird. Um, but also another book uh, that I recommend is Leaders Eat Last uh, by Simon Sinek. Mm-hmm as well as uh, the subtle art of not giving a bleep. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, sometimes you got to have a, have a fun time and, uh, you know, view things from, I, I like viewing things from uh, opposing perspectives, mm-hmm. uh, you know, sometimes. So, you know, rounds me out. 
<laughs> awesome. Yeah, that, that, that thing about that Daily Stoic's become my most gifted book, I think, now. <laughs> the one I gift out the most. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, it's pretty good. <laughs> yeah. So, all right. Will, what's your, uh, what's your book that you would recommend to an aspiring leader or books? I mean, to me, I'm not a, I'm not an avid reader. I'm not a huge reader, but uh, to me, it's, it's, it's probably Rich Dad Poor Dad, hmm. um, because uh, it, it, in, inside, inside the story, it teaches you about life, mm-hmm. and it teaches you about building wealth, about you know, uh, passing on uh, future wealth to your families and stuff like that, and. Uh, there's a lot of leadership tips inside that book that, that you can take and apply it to, uh, to military life as well. Yeah. Yeah. Good stuff. Hey chief, can I add to that, uh, that one as well? <laughs> Go ahead, Mike. So for my aspiring young brand new NCOs, like the, the old school is good school by a uh, retired chief, Mass Sergeant Kevin Slater. Um, you know, that is one book that I always went to. Like when I, when I first became an NCO, I read that. Uh, and, and the lessons in there are just uh, amazing. And they apply to a lot of the things that I do. And, you know, they, you know those, those lessons and principles, uh, you know, stand true today. So old okay. school is good school. That's an awesome book. Okay, awesome. All right, got that added. And we're going to put all these on the show notes as we usually do in case anybody wants to seek them out and pick them up. All right, uh, Will, last question. All right, so this is a deep one. It's how you interpret it. So at, at the Llama Lounge, we're all about life, learning, and leadership. So how do you find harmony between life, learning, and leadership? Rest. Rest, Rest exercise, and the food that you put in your body. Mm. The, you know, your body your body's a temple, and uh, people don't understand the food that you put in not only affects your, your mind, and your body, but your spirit as well. So uh, mm-hmm. I feel like those are those are things that you need to to really rest. You need to sleep. Like a lot of people, maybe get five hours. Try to get eight. They yeah. they really recommend it. Uh, the food that you put in. Look at the products that that are behind it. Look 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 at the look at the stuff that you eat. That that stuff matters. And uh, just that just that type of stuff in general. Yeah. Hey, but Ar- Argentina steak's good though, right? Oh, oh yeah. sir, <laughs> sir, that is, that is, a, that is a totally different game. Everybody, everybody, everybody cheats on food, sir. Everybody cheats on food. <laughs> yeah, I'll be putting some Argentina steak in this temple when as soon as I can. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, Mike. How do you find your harmony between life, learning, and leadership? Well, uh, you know, next to Argentina steak, uh, <laughs> really is gratitude. Um, there, there's going to be problems, you know, and everything that comes your way, there's going to be fires, uh, issues, adversities. Um, but just being thankful for that, you know, I'm, I'm thankful for all the issues that I had because it made me that person that's willing to, or, you know, that's able to withstand that stuff again. You know, it's, it's not going to be a problem for me anymore because I've already, conquered it right so i'm just thankful for the position that i'm in thankful for the you know the friends that i've made the mentors uh you know that have helped develop me uh and even thankful for the bad things you know because you know without without being thankful for them you know they you know you're just gonna drown yourself in misery Mm -hmm. oh woe is me you know that's not my game right there 
uh, yeah, thanks for handing me that, you know, so I can figure out a way to conquer that and also have, uh, you know, a way to show my, my people, all my, all my, uh, you know, peers and subordinates and even some leaders that how, this is how you get over this. So yeah. gratitude is my big thing. That's what's up. Yeah. And then, uh, like I said multiple times, uh, but I'll say it again, man, uh, I've missed you guys. I'm grateful for you guys. And I really appreciate you coming on the show. Thank you. Uh, yeah, it's about time. You know, you got to get another one too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. We'll run this back for sure. Uh, for our listeners, um, the reason why this took so long was because Michael was supposed to write me an article that we were going to talk about <laughs> for, since I was like, that was actually, I think he promised oh. it when I was still stationed at Spangdalem. I've been here <laughs> in full COVID in Travis. So that means that March was eight oh. months long. So it, it's oh, been man. at least another, <laughs> it, it equates to about three years of waiting for this article. So really appreciate you hey. taking the time. <laughs> I- <laughs> Thanks, Chief. I, I got to make sure it was excellent, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You, you know, yeah. Uh, yeah, sometimes you just got to ship it. You need to read this linchpin book by Seth Godin and realize that timelines are also evaluated. <laughs> yeah. yeah I am terrible at that. <laughs> yeah, but uh, thank you guys. And thank you to all our listeners. As always, be safe, stay healthy. Llamas are out. Thanks for tuning in to the Llama Lounge podcast. Be sure to visit the homepage for links to products and services related to this episode. And don't forget to subscribe to the show on your podcast platform of choice. See you next time.